0: You're listening to 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia, Mid Missouri's source for in depth news, diverse talk, and music of the world. It's not just radio, it's community radio, on the web at kopn.org. And this is Speaking of the Arts. Good morning and welcome to Speaking of the Arts on KOPN, Mid-Missouri's only in-depth weekly art show. My name is Diana Moxon. When people find out I have a degree in Swedish, the first question is always, why? And it's a solid question. I mean, most people in Sweden speak English and it is of little use in diplomatic circles. And I tell people I liked ABBA when I was a child and they laugh and I laugh and I say, no, really, I liked ABBA when I was a child. (laughs) It all started in 1974 when the as yet unknown but already impossibly glamorous Swedish pop band ABBA took to the stage in Brighton for the 19th edition of the Eurovision Song Contest. I was totally infatuated. So much so that 10 years later I headed off to university to get a Bachelor of Arts degree in Swedish with a side of Finnish. I lived in Sweden for a year, marvelling at their blondness their cool Nordic hipness, and their infatuation with all things IKEA. So without doubt, the musical comedy Mamma Mia is my favorite musical of all time. And although I have already seen it once this year at Capital City Productions in Jefferson City, I am thrilled that I get to watch it again. Tonight, when Mamma Mia opens at Stephen College's Mecklenburg Theatre, not only with a stellar Stephen's College cast, but also directed by and starring an actor who performed her role in Mamma Mia on Broadway. Amazing. And other actors who are flying in from around the country. And here to share in my passion for the musical are Dr. Gail Humphries-Moderosian, Stephens Dean of School of Creative and Performing Arts, and two of the show's actors, Natalie Erlmeyer and Jeffrey Keller. Hello, everybody. Hi, thanks for having us. Good morning. Oh, hey, Sam, as they say in Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my Mamma Mia story. Let me start by asking each of you if there is a defining musical moment in time that shaped your life. Natalie, let's start with you. Hmm, Okay. Well,
1: I remember when I was younger, I saw Music Man at my local community theater, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to do that. And then the next year, there was another audition for Music Man, and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to play Amarellis, The Little Girl. So I saw it when I was like eight years old, and then I knew that's what I wanted to do. And did you get the part? Yeah.
0: Uh community theater love it (laughs) and that was it that was your career trajectory yes i just knew ever since then (laughs) jeffrey when did destiny arrive in your life via music
2: i actually think it was the the movie rent for me i really love that uh but my parents say that when i was a child they would put on grease and i would jump on the couch and i would (laughs) run around saying i'm danny and i would sing grease lightning (laughs) and so maybe that was it
0: did you have a little Danny outfit oh of course with the leather jacket I slicked my
2: hair back
0: have you performed Danny yet?
2: I have actually that was my last show in high school and
0: was it everything you hoped it would be? oh of course (laughs) were you a better Danny than John Travolta? oh
2: of course are you kidding me?
0: I hope you'll be reprising it on Broadway sometime. (laughs) I'll totally fly in to see you do Danny. of course. (laughs) Gail, a slightly different question for you. What was the moment in your life when theatre claimed you? Oh, I was five years old at Park School
3: Elementary in Uniontown, Pennsylvania, and I sang the 12 Days of Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) and everyone screamed and
0: applauded and i said oh this is the life i want (laughs) the adulation that must be nice actually that must be such all for all the work that you do you know so many people do huge amounts of work for their job and they just go home at the end of the day but you get to see people applaud Mm -hmm. and sometimes stand up and applaud must be amazing. I think. Exactly, um,
2: oh sorry, go ahead. Gail.
0: It, I just think it also as an educator, it has been
3: such an amazing dimension in my life because my work is primarily as a producer and director, not on the stage as I was at age five. <laughs> and I look at these wonderfully talented artists today and of the future, and the cultivation of the audience. Meaning what? Meaning, we want people to appreciate and value the arts. And I don't know if I ever told you I spent time in Gothenburg, Sweden, and worked with the musical theater program at the university there. And I was impressed by the caliber of what they do. I don't impress easily. (laughs) (laughs) I'm impressed by the caliber of what's going on with Mamma Mia.
0: Oh, I mean, I am too, and I haven't even seen it yet. But I mean, just looking at the cast list and knowing what kind of productions I've seen at Stevens recently, I know I'm going to be wanting to get tickets more than once. So I um, expect to see me a few times. So in the region of 60 million people have allegedly seen Mamma Mia around the globe. It has grossed over $2 billion since it debuted in London's West End in 1999. Wow. In London, where the show is still on stage, it's the seventh longest running show of all time. And in New York, it is the ninth, though it closed in 2015. So, Jeffrey, what makes this such a timeless classic for you?
2: For me, I think it's the fun that people have when they come see the show. This is actually um, my third time doing this role, and every time, not even every time I've done the role, but every performance, it's, it's amazing. I've done it in a big proscenium stage, I've done it in a three-quarter thrust, no matter what kind of stage, no matter what the environment is, during that last song, people are up, they're on their feet, they're clapping, they are having the best time of their lives, and it, it's really, it's something special to watch. And it's it's a slightly different feel at the end of the show than other shows that I've been a part of in the past.
0: Does it ever happen that people don't get up and dance?
2: Nope. Not once. (laughs) Not in in my experience. Not not a once.
0: I saw it in London and even in London where we're all a little stiff upper lip. (laughs) Everybody was dancing. Yeah, it's a great time. So, Natalie, at its heart, it's a story about female empowerment, about female friendship, about living a successful life without a man. Sorry, Jeffrey. And it is free of judgment about female promiscuity. At a time when women on popular reality TV shows, like The Bachelor, which I must admit I do watch, um, are still getting shame for their promiscuity in a way that men are not, does Mamma Mia feel refreshing or a little anachronistic? Have times changed or is it still resonant? I think
1: it's refreshing. I mean... I don't want to give it much away, but it's just all about female empowerment. She's with her friends. Her mom's an, an empowering woman who raised a child on her own. I think it still like resonates with the time we have now, but I think it's, I don't know.
3: It's an assertion of identity and individual choice. Mm-hmm. And Sophie makes choices just as Donna, her mom, has done. And we support that outlook at Stevens College. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Although there, the idea that there may be someone who doesn't know the story of Mamma Mia makes me go, what? what? Yeah. I realize that a musical about strong women as told through the songs of ABBA might not be everybody's cup of tea. So, Natalie, tell us the story of Mamma Mia. Set it up for
1: us. The story of Mamma Mia, okay. So I think it's about this young woman who has a dream (laughs) Um, she wants something different from what her mom wants like what her mom raised her to do but she's very um, confident she's driven and she is fighting for what she wants and I think there's a lot of good music in it you're going to laugh you're going to cry you're going to
0: want to dance it's just it's a lot of things all in one so we open up we're in a taverna yes. in Greece and Sophie lives there with her mum, mm-hmm. Donna, who runs the place. And it's not giving the story to say that no. Sophie's about to get married yes. to the lovely Sky, as played by Jeffrey here. And <laughs> Sophie wants to have her father mm-hmm. give her away at the wedding, but she's never met her father. She doesn't, she know, doesn't know who, who her is. father is. Mm-hmm. So what does she do? She invites them
1: all to the wedding. How does she know who they are? She reads her mom's diary and she finds it. There's a whole song in the beginning where she sets it up and she reads her, mom di- her mom's diary and finds these three men who could possibly be her dad. So then she invites them to the wedding without her mother knowing and her mom doesn't understand why they're all here at once right before the
0: wedding. But then towards the end, you'll, she'll figure it out. <laughs> and Donna has two wonderful close female friends who she used to be in Donna and the Dynamos with, yes. Rosie and Tanya. And Tanya. and they're flying in for the wedding, of course, because mm-hmm. it's their best friend's daughter's wedding. And so there's these three fabulous women and these three men who are a little unsure why they're there. Yes. And thus does the story unfold. Mm-hmm. Sophie and Skye are about to get married sophie doesn't really have any doubts at this point or does she have doubts at the beginning
1: i think she has a little inkling of doubt in the back of her head i think she she knows something's missing and she's not sure what it is
0: at first and then i think throughout the musical she she finds what's missing it is such a lovely story Mm -hmm. and jeffrey you play sophie's boyfriend slash fiance um a role for which you have flown in from new york
2: I have. Yes, ma'am.
0: Amazing. It's a little bit of an odd role in that although you are central to the plot, I mean, you're getting married to Sophie, and the drama centers around the fact of this marriage, but you remain kind of peripheral to the actual drama because it's really all about the women. So I wonder when you're playing Sky, if there are times when you just want to assert yourself more as, as the character. You're like, oh, I want to be in this scene.
2: Absolutely, <laughs> I do. It's, uh, I think someone calculated it. I think, I think it was Jen that calculated it at 22 minutes I'm on stage. The, the director end. said
3: that to yeah. me. She said, "Sky is on stage for 22 minutes. Yeah. And I said, only someone who has done this show for years would know that precisely. Yeah. It's very,
2: I, I try to stretch it out to 23, though. <laughs> I, t- I take some long breaks. I say, <gasps> <gasps> yes. Um, no, it, it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting because I, obviously it's my character, so I feel very strongly about him. But um, every time I'm on stage, it's, it's furthering the plot and it's really trying to set Sophia up for what she's about to do next, and people forget that this entire show takes place in under 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really less than two days, and so he wouldn't be with her every second of two days, but even though I'm only on stage for 20, 22, maybe 23 minutes, I, I think he's still pretty integral to the plot of the show.
3: I would say he's essential. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, you couldn't really do it without him. Uh. (laughs) So this is, like you said, this is the third time that you have played Sky. Why do you keep coming back to this role?
2: People keep hiring me. No. (laughs) Um, I think it's a. many people kind of scoff at the idea that this is, quote-unquote, just Mamma Mia, but it has a lot of heart. The show has a lot of heart, and it's a really interesting story to watch every single every single night just from the from the wings of the stage and obviously, we're getting a masterclass put on by Jen, who has done it on Broadway hundreds of times. But I fight with Natalie. Uh, we don't fight. We just we have discussions about, you know, <laughs> even though this is, like I said, just quote unquote, just Mamma Mia. We're talking about who she thinks her dad is, who mm-hmm. who who she wants her dad to be. Uh, a lot of people I don't, I don't want to give anything you know too much away, but a lot of people think that whoever Donna falls in love with is Whoever Donna falls in love with, in my opinion, is not mutually exclusive to who Sophie's dad is. Therefore, you have multiple play. That's why there's three dads. They have multiple roles to play in the show and multiple roles to play in Sophie's life and right. Donna's life.
0: Well, let's have a little musical interlude with a piece of music featuring both Sky and Sophie. This is a clip from Lay All Your Love on Me from the original London cast recording.
4: And I'm possessing it isn't nice you heard me say that smoking was my only vice
0: And that was "lay all your love on me." Just a <laughs> clip from the original London cast recording of *Mamma Mia*, which opens at Stevens College tonight. Now, in the universe of roles that you have played, Natalie, how mm-hmm. challenging is it to sing these roles? Because Abba's music is famously difficult to sing. Because Agnetta and Frida had such a huge range between them. Yes. So, what are the hardest songs? Oh, uh, the hardest
1: song is probably for me. Thank you for the music. Or under attack, because during under attack, I am on a bed getting moved around and spun and just, it's a lot, I'm like out of breath by the end of it. And I'm like, it's not even
0: that hard of a song, but it's (laughs) very... A lot of breath cardio. control. A lot of cardio, <laughs> breath control, yeah. I always wonder how singers who dance and expend energy are able to keep their voice at the same level. Yes. When Because if I just jump up and down and then try and speak, I can't keep my voice level. How do singers do
1: it? Well, I just think it's kind of like a, a balance thing. Like, I can't exert all my energy and belt it out. Because we have mics, you know. The mics help. So it's just knowing when to breathe. Right. And...
3: Uh, It's quite incredible to watch Jennifer as she plays Donna utilizing precise technique. Mm -hmm. She is remarkably economical and precise Mm -hmm. with
0: her physicality, her vocal energy and the through line of the acting. And that's why she acts on Broadway. I mean, she's got it down, I presume. Indeed. (laughs) So let's talk about the costumes. There are 100 reasons why I would love to be in a Mamma Mia production, except I can't sing, so that kind of precludes me. But the number one reason is the costumes that Donna and the Dynamos get to wear. So Gail, who's laughing too much to speak, what can we expect
3: You could not predict the final costumes for the dads and the dynamos. And all I can say is you have to look at the shoes, boots, (laughs) unlike anything. I don't know how they even move in these. Vivian Westwood would be proud. (laughs) Yes. And it's vibrant, exciting. Visually, the show is also enticing. And that's important for today's audience who's making the costumes for you well can i have one (laughs) after the show closes we'll have a special little meeting in the costume (laughs) shop We have a BFA in costume design at Stevens. We're very proud of it. And several of our students have been working on the productions, along with our guest artist, also here from Broadway, Matthew Peterson. There's a theme here. We're bringing in extraordinary professionals. And it was originally done at our summer theater, Okoboichi and designed by Cami Hubert, who graduated from Stevens, is finishing her MFA at North Carolina. So it's
0: a group, true ensemble effort. So what happens to the costumes afterwards? I mean, they are custom-made of lycra and they are drenched in sweat night after night. Where, where do they end up? I mean, do, does they, do they wash the out? The dry well? cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> If you visit our costume shop, you would be
3: stunned. We have a wardrobe of three entire floors of costumes. We are quite careful about handling everything, including vintage women's dresses that we'll use for the Great American Songbook, our next production. Right.
0: Yeah, I would definitely love to have come and have a tour of the costume library. Mm -hmm. (laughs) at some point. Now, you mentioned Jennifer Hemphill. She is your new professor of musical theatre at Stevens and her pedigree is phenomenal. She was on Broadway. She acted in the Broadway production and the national tour of Mamma Mia. How did you lure her to Columbia, Missouri? she wanted to teach and she wanted to teach in a
3: BFA program where we were aspiring for excellence I wouldn't speak for her but I would say her actions demonstrate that and when she came to campus to interview she actually coached Natalie in an audition situation Mm -hmm. and it was remarkable to watch her work and to observe Natalie's response
0: to the coaching. What
1: was your experience of that, Natalie? It was amazing. It was like 15 minutes long, and I just remember there was this one note I couldn't hit, and then she was like, if you can speak it, you can sing it. And then I just sang it, and I was like, how did you get that out of me? She's just so, she can pull anything from anyone. She's amazing.
0: And you have got one more year. You graduate next summer, is that right? I'll graduate in May 2020. In May, so you got a whole year of working with Jennifer. Yes. Yes. So you're going to graduate into an industry where the power dynamic is still pretty unbalanced so that men dominate in almost all sectors except, I think, makeup and costume design. Mm -hmm. And at Stevens, you get the benefit of a full apprentice learning model. You get immersed in all details of theatre. So how do you feel your time at Stevens is prepping you for a
1: career? Well, so much. Because this past summer we went to Okoboji Summer Theater, so we all summer I was working with professional, professional directors, professional guest artists, and it was just so nice to be in there and like it was like the real world. It felt like. And then we come back here, and we have Jennifer and all these professors from Broadway, like Yale said, that are just know everything and know what's current and what we need to do, and it's super nice. They're making me feel really prepared. The heart of the training too is interesting.
3: Natalie played May in my production of Cat on a Hot Tin Roof, both on campus here last uh, spring semester and at Boji. And she's a good example of a young artist who can act, who can sing and can dance, can do Tennessee Williams and can do ABBA. Let's end
0: with your favourite moments in the show, Natalie. What is your favourite moment?
1: Um, Slipping through my fingers, the number with Donna, (laughs) with Jen. It's really...
0: I literally consider her my second mom now, and
1: yeah, it's a great moment.
0: And that's a lesser-known ABBA song. Yeah, it is, but it is very moving. Jeffrey, favorite moment?
2: Um, my favorite moment would actually be the fight that Natalie and I had on <laughs> the <Street of laughs> Sky. That's a good- yeah, I, <laughs> I, I, I think it's a, it's a
0: verbal fight. Yes,
2: yes. Okay. yes. No, we, we wrestle
0: on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, but it, it's a, it's a good scene. It pulls at my heartstrings, at least.
0: Gail, can you have a favourite
3: moment in this show? Yes, I actually have two. I have Slipping Through My Fingers, because as a mother, and my daughter's getting married in December, so I'm looking at that, and I'm watching it, and I'm sobbing every time, even though I know the song, the acting, the depth and breadth of the content is beautiful. And at the end, when Natalie sings, I Have a Dream... You know, our motto at Stevens is dream up.
0: And again, I start to sob, you'll hear it tonight. I'll take some tissues with me. Thank you so much to my guest today: Stephen's Dean of Performing Arts, Dr. Gail Humphries-Matarusi, and actors Natalie earl and Jeffrey Keller. Stephen's production of *Mamma Mia!* opens tonight at the Macklemore Theatre for a total of six performances. Evening shows start at seven thirty tonight and tomorrow, plus next Friday and Saturday, and there are also two matinees. <clears throat> Sorry, one this Sunday and the other one next Saturday, and both the matinees start at two. Tickets are a bargain at eighteen dollars and are available on online at stevens.edu forward slash box hyphen office or you can give them a call on 573 876 7199 break a leg everyone and let's go out with the best abba song of all time and my personal anthem You're listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia. And after a short break, I'll be sneaking behind the scenes with the Missouri Symphony Orchestra's new executive director, Trent Rash, and new development director, and mother of Speaking of the Arts, Monica Palmer, back in a mo. Back to Speaking of the Arts in a segue, so perfect you'd think I'd planned it. <laughs> At least one of my next guests is familiar with the inside of a Lycra jumpsuit. Having, <laughs> having played Rosie on stage in Capital City Productions' Mamma Mia earlier this summer, but now she has wrung out her soggy Lycra <laughs> and has a much less sweaty, I hope, new role as the development director for the Missouri Symphony Orchestra. It is a role in which she works with another stalwart of the Columbia Musical Theatre stage and who is now the new executive director of the Missouri Symphony Orchestra. It is a delight to welcome back to the show, sporting new hats and much fancier jackets, Missouri Symphony Orchestra's Development Director, Monica Palmer, and its Executive Director, Trent Rash. Hello, lovelies. Hello. Hello, good morning. Thank you for having us. <laughs> Absolutely, so good to be here. Now you must both really like each other, as you not only spend all day working together, but then as two of the founding members of the Stable Boys mm-hmm. Improv Troupe, mm-hmm. you spend a lot of time playing right. together too. We so do. I wondered if you have a plan for when the novelty wears off for spending so much time together. <laughs> I, I don't have a plan yet, but I, I'll put
5: that.
4: I'll put that in the uh, strategic plan. That's right. Like it, it'll be its own. Well, We'll add that as a category yeah. as a, <laughs> to, to discuss.
0: It's a big building, so you just need to have offices that, office that yeah. ends at the opposite of the Missouri <laughs> Theatre building, maybe. So Trent, 12 yes. years as the Assistant Professor of Music at Stevens College, mm-hmm. Executive Director of the college's Summer Theatre Institute, singing, dancing, acting, and then yes. off you pop to the Missouri yes. Symphony Orchestra. Had you known them long?
4: Uh, you know, I have. I've, I have. Since I've, I came to Columbia, the, the theater itself has come in and out of my life. When I first came in 99, I actually performed in it in 2000 in an opera called The Tenderland with the Mizzou Show Me Opera. Uh, and it was really special because Harry Morrison was in that show, who was a longtime professor, and he played the grandpa. But that was my first experience with the theater. And at that time, the symphony owned it. So I've had this sort of ongoing thread in my life of the theater and, and this, the symphony itself. So it, it, it is somewhat the universe working. I think in a magical way to for me to end up there.
0: So what made you want to take on a 50-year-old organization as the man in charge?
4: You know I've had a lot going on in my life um, in terms of a lot of changes and uh, I thought why not just throw another one in the mix while I'm making a lot of other changes and I was ready for I was ready for the challenge. I was ready to move forward and to really embrace some leadership skills that I had and and to help an organization that is really so integral to our community.
0: We really can't talk about the Missouri Symphony Orchestra without mentioning the name Vianello. Mm -hmm. Hugo and Lucy Vianello were the founders of the (coughs) symphony back in 1970 and without them there probably would be be no Missouri Theatre. Maestro Hugo passed away last year, and I know you have spent time with Lucy looking through mm-hmm. all the symphony's artifacts. Talk about that sense of history. And what that means to you.
4: Yeah, and that's another kind of fun story. So last year I was kind of the liaison with Stevens because Lucy was wanting to donate some items to Stevens because Hugo had um, been a, a professor there for 12 years. He, he directed the orchestra at Stevens. So she had a number of things she wanted to donate. And so I was going over there once a month and spending about four hours with her. the time flew by um, in her home going through things. And she would pull out these scrapbooks. And she was showing me photos from the fifties and the sixties before they were even here when they were in Kansas city and then talking me through the history and then showing me photos of the theater and, and of, of her doing her thing with the the league and of Hugo directing and of her toting the children around. I mean, it was really wonderful. And um, I mean, she has so much history in that house itself and she has recordings that go all the way back to the beginning of the the orchestra. So it's, it's a wealth, it's a treasure trove inside that home.
0: How many? I mean, how many boxes of artifacts are there? Is it like a ho- whole rooms of the yeah, house? Yeah.
4: So yeah. So Hugo's office actually is on the second floor, and it was a. It's a, literally a whole wing of the second floor, and it, it goes from the front of the house to the back. It's a very cool room, and it's filled top to bottom with shelves of books and recordings and music and vinyl records and just you know his scores, you know, and opera scores and just a, so many things that he's collected over the course of the you know the 60 years that he was an active you know musician
0: i feel a kinship with your quest when i took on the almost 50 year old columbia artly because i felt like it had Mm -hmm. incredible potential and it just needed the right kind of love but i also told the board that if they wanted business as usual then they probably shouldn't hire me. And I sense in you too that you are a mm-hmm. man mm-hmm. with a plan. So yes. what is your vision?
4: Yeah, and it's interesting you, you you say that because I know I'm like I'm probably making their heads spin a little bit right now. They asked, they asked me to come in when I interviewed in front of the board. They like show tell us your first 100 days as ED, and and they they said you have 15 minutes, and I think I took 25 because uh, you know there was just a lot that I think that we could do. And I you know I think it's time uh, to steal a, a, a phrase from Stevens for for the symphony to dream up and to think about what can we do you know we don't always have to put out fires but what can we think about moving forward that we want to do and and let's let's think big and not worry about limiting that with with well this could happen we can't do this because let's just think about what could we do Um, and so those were some of the things that I had talked about you know regarding challenges we have facing even musicians coming in how do we house them why don't we build an artistic village you know just things like that let's let's vision and think about what do we need and how do how do we get that
0: and how far into the hundred days are you so far I
4: know oh gosh so this is This is probably day 35, maybe.
0: And are you on track?
4: You know, I was just thinking I should pull up, up that presentation and kind of take the notes. I think that I, there are some things I have put in place. One of my, my big things was marketing. And I we're really working um, uh, down a path there. And another big thing was the strategic plan. And I've gotten, I think, somebody lined up that I really, really like to work with. So I do think I'm starting to hit some of those those goals.
0: So, Monica, like Trent, I am more used to seeing you on the stage mm. or in front of a microphone than working behind <laughs> the scenes. That said, this does seem like a perfect fit for you because you have infectious enthusiasm for everything that you do. Okay. So if you had to choose between the arts and your children, I know the children would oh, of course wow. win oh, wow. but oh, oh. only just. <laughs> so as development only director, just. like what is your job? What are you charged with? So developing
5: resources that help the organization thrive, whether that's, you know, financial resources or volunteers or butts and seats, you know, new audiences, uh, you know, any of those things that are going to help this organization be around for another 50 years, that's that's what I want to do. That's Those are the, mm-hmm. the things that I'm doing, developing relationships, developing connections, making those things possible to keep us thriving and, and heading in, in this exciting new direction.
0: So grant writing comes under yes. you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you written your first grant. Yes. I,
5: well, I've written my first interim report for the Missouri Arts Council. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and so, yeah,
5: I get to write my first final report for the uh, Office of Cultural Affairs coming up soon. So yeah, so so, I mean, it's it's really, grant writing can, you know, it can seem like intimidating, but I think that if you're part of an organization you really believe in, it's really telling their story and, and why it's important that the story continues. And that's, as you say, in my wheelhouse, so it's, it's it is. not intimidating.
0: <laughs> now, Mosey's mission statement is to inspire and engage diverse audiences through exceptional performances of symphonic music and to educate and mentor young performers. Mm. And the difficulty, as I see it, is that Western classical music is perceived mm. by Many people is a little bit elitist. It's a very... Whitey McWhite. <laughs> um, so how do you That's engage diverse audiences when it feels so culturally obscure to a lot of people? Let me just first say, it's culturally obscure because we've learned
5: that it's culturally obscure. If you watch children listen to classical music, they don't think it's culturally uh-huh. obscure. They, they are reacting to it viscerally. They are dancing. They are moving. There are, are research studies that, you know, show what's happening in a child's brain when they're listening to this kind of music. I have a personal story of Gabe, when and he would throw these tantrums Your son. when he, my son, when he was little, and he would just be like through the roof, screaming his head off. I would put on a Georges Bizet's Carmen, just the Habanera suite, and I think it was Charlotte Church on the recording that I had, and he would just stop, still. And there was something about that music that just touched him on another level, and I think that's what music does. But we learn. As you know, we get older and cooler and we start hanging out with different peer sets that, oh, that's stuffy, oh, or that's, that's, that's not relevant to my life anymore. But if we can tap back into that visceral experience of music, which is exactly what happens when you're sitting in a live performance hall with a group of other people in the dark and you let that music touch you, that's, that's what, why it's still relevant.
4: So,
0: so how do we make it cool?
4: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a, a really good, a really good point. And you know, uh, one of those things is is the collaborations that you create. Mm. Um, I know one of the things that we're thinking of for next summer is a group called Fly. That's a hip hop group that performs to classical music, and it's a it's a group of all black men that perform these amazing moves to Beethoven. Mm-hmm. You know, awesome. um, yeah. and I think I think and I think it's letting people see themselves up there. You know, that's mm-hmm. the other thing for me that's is the visibility. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a big push right now in America, specifically about diversity in orchestras, mm-hmm. and part of that is you have to give these students an opportunity th- that financially, you know, it takes to learn an instrument, to be in an ensemble takes money. And so one of the things that we're really talking about is how can we support a child. I have this dream as an educator that we would be able to support a child for five years, pay for their instrument, pay for private lessons. Lessons, pay for them to be in an in, in ensemble, have them buy in, and then no matter what, whether they keep playing or not, which I hope they will, even if they don't, they still will support that art form effort because they've been a part of it mm. and they've experienced it. And I think that's part of it is that I think people feel like, well, I, I don't have a part in this because there's, it's not accessible to me. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, this music is, is accessible. And honestly, yes, it was a bunch of old white men that wrote it, but those were not the, they were writing for rich white men, but they weren't the rich white men. They actually have some very colorful pasts, a lot of those composers. Having studied a lot of, as a musician and somebody who studied music, a lot of those people were everyday people like us that have some really colorful, interesting stories that honestly in our day and age would be supporting the things that we support and probably would have wanted that excess for, for these students because they themselves were poor as well and somebody had to give, had to give them a break as well. So I think there are some, a lot of tie-ins that we could make there.
0: So what would that cost? For one child to do what you know, you it's outlined. funny because
4: we we started to think about that in an adament meeting recently, and, and and what would what would that look like? And so it's hard it's hard for me to say like I, I'm going to say an instrument itself like let's take a cello is probably you know if you're if you're buying the little one first it's probably at least a thousand dollars. Okay. And then the private lessons, if you're if you're taking them every week, it's probably $50 a week, so there's $200 a month, you know. Mm-hmm. And then if you're going to be in an, in a outside orchestra, that's about another 450 a semester, so that would be 900. So if we were to add all that up, you what,
0: know,
4: about 4500. Yes, about $5000 a year. But the thing is there are people in this community, beautiful people that that are part of our membership that really want that for kids, you know. And and I think that my goal for the conservatory is that, that we will look more diverse because I think there are players that want a part of that and maybe and maybe we don't even know it yet. Mm-hmm
0: tell us a little bit about the conservatory because Mm -hmm. I don't have any children who don't play their non-existent musical instruments so I'm (laughs) I don't really know much about it but I'm guessing that it's a hugely important Mm -hmm. part of Mosi because it's really your future
4: yeah and it's so fun I just met with somebody in the membership yesterday and I've been having so much fun doing that who I asked her how how long have you been involved she's like well my son played in the youth orchestra back in 1983 through 86 and so Maestro Vianello had started a program way back when and then it's over time as ebbed and flowed the current conservatory started in earnest in 2011 when Maestro Trevor became involved and um, their goal is to give students um, an opportunity to all come together from all the different schools so you know you may play in your Hickman high school orchestra but then you get to come and play with people from Battle and from Rockbridge and so it's bringing all these kids together to have a shared musical experience in an ensemble setting. They also have coaches available so they get to work with, there's a violin coach and a viola coach and a cello coach they get to work with professional players who are giving them some examples and then there's also opportunities for quartet experiences. So learning about chamber music and smaller ensembles. And I think that, you know, I was just reading through these applications for scholarships, because we have a very generous scholarship program. And the things the students were writing were bringing us to yes. tears. Monica and I, the other day, we're, <laughs> we're reading
5: softies. I don't know if you know yeah. this about us. <laughs> we but we it, cry very yeah, easily. We're it's, tearing we're, up reading. We're not the, afraid just to say that. The impact that music and music education and, you know, working with someone like Maestro Kirk Trevor, these things are very impacting to these young people's lives.
0: You talk about on the website about how you encourage children to be part of their musical experience at school, the musical programs at school, mm-hmm. but I wonder how robust are the musical programs at Columbia Public Schools?
4: That's a great question. I had I had lunch later with James Melton, who's a fine arts coordinator, and I know the orchestra program in general is is the hardest, I think, to maintain, and uh, probably, again, it is this idea of we're combating about, is this music still relevant, you know? Um, and the expense and, of and, getting and an yeah, instrument. Yeah, the expense of the instrument and, and all those things, but... I mean, I think that there are some teachers in place right now that are really trying to solidify these programs, and I think that they are doing, are doing the work. Some of them work in, in the conservatory with us. And there's a lot of things to combat right now, you know. Students are sort of overwhelmed to take all these other classes, mm-hmm. you know, in order to get to college, and part of me wants to be like, look you really don't need to, you know, like I know, you know, like I was told this, but you know, if you have a love for something, pursue it and the other things mm-hmm. will fall into place. And I think there's a lot of that that has to be combated, you know, in terms of scheduling and things like that.
5: Well, and there needs to be an exposure early on to this kind of yes. music. And I don't think like the parents are introducing as often, you know, just general population. They're not introducing this kind of experience and this kind of music, which is why another thing that we don't really toot our horn enough about this event, right. but the young people's concert is something that Maestro Kirk started a couple of years ago. Where every student, every third grade student in the Columbia Public School area gets to come they bus the school buses them into the Missouri theater and they get to hear a professional orchestra. Peter Steeleman comes in and and narrates Peter and the Wolf, and they get to hear you know these instruments together and be exposed to live symphonic music and that's it's it's you know translated into more people signing up for you know learning how to play an instrument or you know in the the orchestras in those those home schools have. Have benefited from this exposure because people are, these students, these third graders are thinking, you know, I would like to do that. I would like to be on that stage at the beautiful theater and playing that beautiful music.
0: And Peter and the Wolf is great because it's a story and children understand Mm -hmm. stories. We all understand stories. Exactly. Is that coming up, that event? Yes. Yes. November
4: November 21st we do, I think there's three, I think we do three times throughout mm-hmm. the day in order to fit everybody in. Yeah. So we have a, a number of schools come in, they go away, a number mm-hmm. of schools come in, they go away. So it's a big deal. It's, it's three concerts throughout the whole school day.
5: So if you have a third grader in the Columbia public school system, you know, on November 21st, make actually sure go to home, school that day. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, I mean, if if your kids are like my kids, you may not know about this happening until you like ask these, you know, leading questions and Hey, what did you do today? Anything fun? Did you step into a historic theater by chance? Yeah. <laughs> and the great thing
4: is, 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 that my, you know, Kirk has put together a packet for the teachers that they actually talk about some things before the concert and after the concert. There's kind of a study guide, so it is giving them their first experience with an orchestra.
0: And is the orchestra made up of conservatory students, or is this a grown-up orchestra?
4: This is the actual, so there's the Missouri Symphony Conservatory, and there's the Missouri Symphony Orchestra, and the orchestra is a professional musician. So this is actually made up of our local professional musicians, because the orchestra is about half and half. In the summer, we have a very lovely group of local musicians, and in the summer, we bring in our international and national rest of members at Phil. Okay,
0: I was going to ask, what. It's really a stupid question and I'm embarrassed I don't know the answer but is there an actual year-round Missouri Symphony Orchestra? Do they practice and, and meet and rehearse? And
4: They're the only they they're events-based so they do it depends on and we're hoping to get a few more lined up but they, at this point there's a concert in December that is the Symphony of Toys that, that is the kind of local group that does that the orchestra and then in the summer the Hot Summer Nights is the full orchestra from people all around the country and the local musicians and then for special events like the Young People's Concert would be the local orchestra or any other sort of special thing we do would be made up of the local musicians.
0: And there are a couple of conservatory events coming up, too, where you can actually hear the young performers play.
4: Yes, they have. Um, their, their fall concert is uh, Monday, November the 11th, which I believe is Veterans Day, actually. Yeah. Um, and so they're doing a, a really kind of homage to veterans. They're doing some really beautiful music. Um, and that they, they get to perform in the theater, which is great. They get that experience performing in the theater, mm-hmm. in front of their families. And, and this year we're going to make it even um, more special with a little reception beforehand. And they do that both, sem- both semesters, in this fall and in the spring.
0: Tell me what the umbrella of the Missouri Symphony Orchestra covers, because although it's one organization, there are different funding pots under the umbrella gathering gold coins for different programming entities. So how does it... What's the structure?
4: Yeah, so Mosey, which is the Missouri Symphony, has yeah. sort of three main branches. One is the orchestra, one is the conservatory, and the third is the league. The league is what Lucy Vianello founded. But actually, its 50th anniversary is 2021, so it was founded in 1971. And back then it was called the Women's League. Now it's open to everyone. But it was, it's, it's sort of our main fundraising arm from within the membership. So each year they do the holiday home tour and the brunch and a big garage sale, and they usually raise for us about $25,000. From their efforts, and they're they are very dedicated men and women who um, meet monthly and um, who are sort of doing their own networking, their own peer-to-peer work from within the membership and without. And so, to be in the to be a member of the symphony, you pay at a level, and then if you want to be in the league, you just pay an extra ten dollars. And then you can be a part of the league as well.
0: And then the money they raise goes towards the youth programming. It goes toward
4: they did get to decide. So they 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 kind of split it up. They, they so much goes towards the conservatory, usually for scholarships. So much goes toward the orchestra for for their purposes, whether it be for Hot Summer Nights or Symphony of Toys or whatever they deem. And they also sponsor the piano showcase for the young mm. musicians, where they have the auditions and then they get to perform these pianists on the Missouri Theater stage.
0: So say I was a member of the Missouri Symphony, which not. I can join we. for an annual donation of fifty dollars. You know, like. I'm I'm one of the people. It's not my thing. Oh, oh, okay, it's not, not Ab, yet. It's not absolutely sweet. Um, <laughs> yeah. So
5: theater uh, wasn't your thing a year ago, so
0: <laughs> just yeah. give me time. Oh, I always like this. So the next time I can hear the full Missouri Symphony play yes. is December. So what? Mm-hmm. What else yes. do I get for my membership apart from feeling warm and fuzzy?
4: <laughs> yeah. So well, that that is exactly what we're working on right now. This to me, one of the things that I said when I met with the conservatory parents was, this year is going to be about what can we do for you, you know. And so one of the things that I, you know, one of my strength finders is connectedness, and so I. Is that wanna, word? Uh, yes. yes. Connectivity. Connectivity, connectedness. And so I, I want to have more opportunities for them to feel that their voice matters. And so I would like to start monthly coffee with the EDs, mm-hmm. where they can come meet me at a local coffee shop. It may change every month. And ask me questions. The and they e. can be tough questions or, or get information. We're also going to start a, a monthly newsletter mm-hmm. so they can know what's going on. So that they can, you know, a lot of times I think they just don't know what's going on, you know, and, I, and they can feel more invested in that way. There are a lot of perks that they get, especially during the summer regarding the Hot Summer Nights concert mm-hmm. series in terms of preferential seating, receptions, things like that. But all those are things we're actually looking at, you know, moving forward. Like, what should it look like? What does make this attractive?
0: So you mentioned that you were working on your five-year strategic plan. Yeah. So if we were sitting here in five years, what would we have achieved? I mean, like, mm-hmm. what's what have you got in there? Like, what's year, wow. year one, I want to do this, and by well, year five, I well, want to see the Missouri Theatre full every time you have a concert. It's
4: not that specific yet, but goals, some goals that I have, are changing from a sort of membership level to a donor level, which is a little bit more equitable in terms of how much you give. You can move up the ladder throughout the year. So if you give a thousand dollars and then decide, oh, I'm gonna give another five thousand, instead of just being stuck at that a thousand dollar level perks, you'd get to move up into a different bracket. I think that's one of the big things I'd like to, to see happen. I think there's a lot of structural things that we really want to clean up and make sure that we have written record for <laughs> how things how things should occur. I also think just the collaborations and connections. Connections we make with local businesses mm. and with lo- other arts organizations are going to be really important. Generally, every year we do a partnership with the Missouri Contemporary Ballet for Hot Summer Nights that I definitely want to continue. And there's a lot of other organizations that would be great to collaborate with. I've talked with Ragtag the other day with Barbie Banks. I, we're good friends. And, and, I, you know, I just want to make sure that we're all playing nice together.
0: I mean, if I donate $50, then I find a 20 down the back of the sofa and donate that. I mean, am I moving up a tier or <laughs> we're talking about bigger levels? Or is there yeah. something for, like, the little people?
4: Too. Yeah, I mean, so the $50 level is the lowest level there is, yes, and, and there are things that you definitely get from that. And then the next level up is 100 So it kind of goes by 50s and then goes higher than that. And, and all that's going to be up for kind of looking at as well. But yeah, I think part of it is yes, we want, in an effort to be inclusive, yes, we're going to find a place for everyone. You know, and, and that, that no matter what you give, you still are valuable mm-hmm. and that we you still have something to offer and, and we want to meet you where you are.
0: And I think that would change the opinion of people too, in that people do think it's like, Oh, I don't have a thousand dollars, I don't right. have five thousand. It's right. it's the symphony orchestra, it's expensive. Whereas if you feel like donating at a lower level is just as valid. It, absolutely. absolutely. We'd
4: love to set up like, Hey, look, you could donate ten dollars a month. You could come out, it could be an automatic withdrawal. that yeah. and you know what, that isn't that, that's just as valuable as somebody handing me a thousand dollars. It's just like so,
5: my KOPN donation. It comes out every exactly. month. I like, don't like even mine too. It. <laughs> it just comes and, out, and, and I don't. Even we would
4: be. It. We would, we are very open to setting up something like that, to where it's like I can only give. That's great. That's still important. That makes you still valuable. Right. That makes you still a member of the symphony. Yeah.
0: I remember when I had to raise the money to open the Art League at the at the Missouri Theater Building, and it was just this giant. It felt like a giant amount of money from a zero mm-hmm. start. Mm-hmm. And I sent a letter to everybody to say five dollars counts. Mm-hmm. Because I think when you talk about big things like, oh, we're building a new building or oh, we're funding a symphony because people think, well, it's not worth it unless I can give a thousand and I can't give a thousand. Whereas if you realize that, you know, if a thousand people give five dollars. Yeah. Yes. It's the same place. And yeah. so mm-hmm. and so so many people made a small donation as a result of that because they realized that everything counted. And I think that's really mm-hmm. key. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Okay, I'll send you $5. All right. Great. Right, right. We'll take it. Before we close, um, you mentioned hot summer nights earlier, and I know yeah. you have plans to change things, and you mentioned one of the performers, a uh, group that might come in. Mm-hmm. What other things would you like to do to beef up hot summer nights and make it? more part, accessible.
4: Sure. So part of it is based, there's, there is a, there is a redesign committee that's meeting, and it's based on, you know, the musician feedback, so orchestra members and, and the board feedback, and, and all people involved. There's a hot, summer nights committee. Everybody's sort of had some very extensive feedback. And I think it's um, really the idea of quality over quantity. Mm. And so that maybe, while we still want to give the best performances we can, and we do give really good performances, and maybe we don't need as many, and that we can really focus on beefing up less with more, and, and being smart with that Money Wise. We have some really exciting partnerships this summer. Our kickoff concert is actually going to be in tandem with the, the 20, 200th anniversary of Boone mm-hmm. County. It's going to be a really neat event, I think, with a lot of fun Missouri mm-hmm. impersonators there, <laughs> I think. And so that I think that's going to be really fun. And I think just the fact that it's our 50th anniversary, we're going to be able to do a lot of really um, exciting things al- along with that. And it's actually Maestro Kirk's 20th anniversary right. with the symphony.
5: And as the music director, you know, Kirk plays an integral role, you know, the yes. leading role in playing the the program, and I think he does a really good job of, of finding those things that are going to make you care about it because it's not all. I mean, you're going. It, there's a little something for everybody. There's going to be the silent film with the orchestra, mm-hmm. which is such a cool thing. I think everybody who goes to True False Film Festival should be coming to this because it's such a it's such a cool experience. And and it, getting that timing right with the music and the film and every you know every little eyebrow lift has a has a musical accompaniment. You know, it, it's just a really really neat thing to. To experience, but at, uh, my favorite are always the, like the family concerts that you get to come out with your kids. It's free, you know, a free exposure to. The, <laughs> don't make that face. I like it because I have kids. <laughs> yeah, you get to come to that one. and experience the concert <laughs> for free, and you know, and, and Kirk, you know, is really good about you know putting on a costume or doing something or telling a story or whatever it, you know to make it relatable to to children and exciting. And then one of my favorite parts is the instrument petting zoo, where the kids get to actually get up close and personal with the instruments, mm-hmm. and the musicians kind of teach them how it makes a sound and how to use it and how to hold it. And that's, you know, again, taking away that kind of barrier between a child and their ability to connect with music.
0: I'd like an adult petting zoo, even though that sounds a bit strange. But <laughs> I I, uh, I mean, I'd like to do that, too, because, sure. you know, a get to really...
5: Oh, adults can come up and try out the music, too. Yeah, the, the instruments, too. I'd like mine to
0: be with wine, though. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Noted. We're putting yes. that down.
5: Okay. okay. No taken.
0: <laughs> My guests today have been Trent Rash and Monica Palmer the new executive director and development director for the Missouri Symphony Orchestra. Tickets are now available for the annual holiday home tour where you get to nosy around other people's fancy houses. (laughs) Plus there's the full conservatory concert at the Missouri Theatre on November the 11th and the annual Symphony of Toys on Sunday 16th of December. Thank you so much Monica and Trent. You are listening to Speaking of the Arts and before we hand the airwaves over to Terry Gross and Fresh Air I have a list of arts events coming up that would like to find their way onto your calendars. This evening is opening night at the Stevens College Macklenburg Theatre for their new production of the global hit Mamma Mia the show starts at 7.30 tonight and tomorrow plus there is a 2pm matinee on Sunday tickets are $18 and there are also three chances to see the show next weekend the last show of the Lyceum Theatre's summer season has its opening weekend in Arrowrock the musical *Swing Time Canteen is a hilarious and heartwarming journey back to the music of the 1940s there are 2pm and 8pm performances today and tomorrow plus a 2pm matinee on Sunday and tickets are $42. In Jefferson City, it's the second and final weekend for Scene 1 Theatre's production of the musical of musicals The their musical. Showtime is 7.30 tonight and tomorrow and tickets are $15. And back in Columbia, singer John Moreland is on stage at the Blue Note tonight with John Calvin Abney. The evening starts at 9 and tickets are $15 tomorrow morning, Professor Emily Wilson will be at Skylark Bookshop to talk with MU Professor of Classics, Sean Gerd, about her new translation of Homer's The Odyssey. Their discussion will be from 10 till 11am and is free to attend. This weekend is the annual Heritage Festival and Craft Show organised by Columbia Parks and Rec and taking place at Nifong Park. The festival runs from 10 till 5 on both Saturday and Sunday and includes traditional and roots entertainment on three stages. reenactors, artisans and tradesmen demonstrating their lost trades and selling their wares plus a handmade craft show and there's no cost to attend. Saturday evening at Sacred Heart Church, the Chicago-based a cappella trio Artemisia performs Sounds Like Us, a story of female strength through the power of the female voice. They will be joined by the MU Women's Ensemble for the 7pm concert and tickets are $15. And at Talking Horse Theatre, the Stable Boys Improv Troupe have only eight tickets left. They're back on stage tomorrow night in a show called Fast Times at Stable Boys High. The show starts at 7.30 and uh, is advised to get your tickets in advance. There are only eight left as the last few shows have sold out and this one will too. Monday night at 6pm Skylock Bookshop has a double bill of poets reading from their new books Columbia's Mark McKee managing editor of the Missouri Review will read from Meta Meta Make Belief and Denver's Brian Barker will read works from his latest collection Vanishing Acts Meanwhile over at Rose Music Hall there is an acoustic showcase of Columbia guitar students called Nevertheless She Rocked Tickets are $5 and the concert starts at 7 Tuesday evening one read author Jessica Bruder is in town to talk about her book Nomadland Her talk will be at Columbia College. Colleges, Lana auditorium at 7 pm and there is no cost to attend Tuesday evening also kicks off week two of ragtag cinema's fundraiser Como famous where well-known local people choose their favorite film and compete to see who can raise the most money for ragtag next week's films are dirty rotten scoundrels on Tuesday low impact man on Wednesday and do the right thing next Thursday show time for all the films is 6:30, and tickets should be purchased in advance at Rose Park next Tuesday evening there is a free we always switch jazz series concert featuring Tom Andes and Travis McFarlane and their show starts at 7.30. On Wednesday next week the MU Theatre Department opens Funny House of a Negro and a movie star has to star in Black and White. Two experimental and dreamlike plays by Theatre Hall of Fame inductee Adrian Kennedy. The plays explore the divide between black and white in America through the eyes of a young African-American woman in a burst of poetry, imagery and sound. The plays will be at MU Theatre's Studio 4 Black Box Theatre even before Performances start at 7.30 and tickets are $17. And in Macon, the Maples Rep Theatre opens Rise Up, O Men, the sixth musical comedy in the Church Basement Ladies series. Curtain up is at 7.30 and tickets start at $24. And finally, next Thursday, the Como Comedy Club takes over the Blue Note stage with two shows by comedian Josh Blue. He was the winner of NBC's Last Comic Standing. Josh has two shows at 7 and 9.30pm and balcony tickets are $20. You've been listening to Speaking of the Arts on 89.5 FM KOPN Columbia with me, Diana Moxon, and my good friend and sound engineer, Mike Hagan. We'll be back next week with more news, views, and interviews on the arts in mid-Missouri. Stay arty, Columbia.